Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 72, and we are doing chapters 58 through 61 of Oathbringer, our very first episode into part three of Oathbringer. We have two Dalinar chapters and two Kaladin chapters to, to go over. I feel like it's been a while since we had a cut and dry episode of, you know, you know, two, two Dalinar, two Kaladin, pretty, pretty standard. That's like a part two of the way of Kings type feeling of those two. But how are, how are we doing? How are we feeling, uh, Paul? And who's on our mug this week? I am doing great. I'm super excited to be in part three now. I actually feel like we're getting big places, <clears throat> Carbroth. Um, <laughs> on, our, on our mug this week, we have Nate. Nate is a surgeon, I believe, one of our one of our surgeons, um, and we're very grateful for Nate. Uh, fun fact is he has been on one of our episodes. You'll have to go find it though. I'm not going to spoil which one of it was, which one it was. So yeah, big shout out to Nate. Uh, you were on Thank you, Nate. just a, Thank you, Nate. a normal uh, green thermos cup. So congratulations. And I am going to correct you. That's a he's an ardent. He's the ten dollar month tier. So. Oh, e- sorry. Yes, apologies. I thought but, that was the ten dollar month tier. No, it's okay. So yes, he's an ardent. Uh, Paul, uh, Ellie, how are you? I am. I'm good. I'm really excited to delve into the highly touted part three of Oathbringer. So fun times coming. I hope. He just used the word touted. I'm a little intimidated. Touted. <laughs> That's right. All right. Do we have two words to summarize our, our chapters, our four chapters for this week? We I, I at least have my contributing to. I don't know about Elliot. Um, no tricks or anything. It's just a daunting rogue. Okay. Daunting rogue, Elliot? I too am kind of going back to the the basics. Nothing too cheeky this this episode. I went with banter and animosity. Banter, animosity, rogue, and daunting. Daunting. Thank you. I switched up the order just so it could be like, well, a daunting rogue, even though that doesn't really matter. So. All right, let's use these four words and talk about Oathbringer. You know, for the last six months or so, I've had the idea of once you guys give me your words, I say like these words are accepted or something like that. And we've had a couple comments in the Discord and on YouTube of, you know, I should be doing that. But I've gone so long without saying that that I don't feel like I should pick it up now. But it would have been really funny if I thought about that episode one. And I, but I feel like it's kind of late now. But anyway, that was just a random thought. So you think it's just too late to ask now? Like you've put it off too long and you're kind of scared to ask. Right. Like, is this okay? Yeah. All right. We have four chapters. And these four chapters, nothing too crazy happens. We're kind of setting up our settings and locations for part three. We're, we're pushing all of our all of our characters into their positions for part three. We're not doing a whole lot this episode, but it's, it's still good to talk and set things up. So we have two Dalinar chapters to start out, and Dalinar is... The scene opens in, in part three where he's about to open the oath gate to Thalen City, and he's musing to himself that he's afraid to use the visions because of Odium. We ended part two with our big Odium reveal that he can hack the visions and talk to Dalinar and Lyft saw him there too. So they know that it's not just an explicitly Dalinar thing that, so that's why they're afraid to bring other people into the visions and use the visions right now, because if they pull, you know, poor Gox into 
a vision and odium's like bow to me and pork and gox is like ah you know so they're trying to avoid all that what are you guys' thoughts on on that is that a smart decision is that too cautious it's definitely smart right uh, odium seemed to be just kind of a chill older gentleman from what we saw which was kind of weird and confusing with our yes with what we think of as odium right uh, but we don't know. I'm assuming we, we know he has a lot of power, so he could probably very easily attack or corrupt someone if if brought near. So it's definitely it's definitely safe. Just because they didn't have a dangerous encounter with Odium when we met him doesn't mean that they won't next time. So, and it brings up some interesting questions that I think Dalinar is is asking too, like. What are the what are the limitations around Odium? What is he capable of? Can he just appear to you in a vision, or can he appear to you in the real world? Is he just sort of a a mental figment of your imagination, or or power, or does he also have like a physical form? Like those are kind of the questions as well. Like, are they even? Does it even matter whether they don't go into the visions or not? Can he just kind of pop up wherever the Everstorm goes, or however that works? I'm. I'm wondering those kind of things. So it's probably a good idea for now to stay away from the visions. I know we talked about this last week and Elliot, you were kind of pushing on the fact that you didn't like the presentation of Odium in his opening chapter. And it got me thinking between last week and this week, we're going to go full Lord of the Rings reference here. We usually avoid those, but we're going for it. In the two towers, at the beginning of the two towers, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli come across an old man who sits outside their fire. Turns out it's Gandalf, but you're supposed to think it's Saruman at the time. And he's kind of just like sitting out there. He's like all creepy and stuff. And they hail him and he just kind of goes, ooh, and like, well, you know, walks away or whatever. Is couldn't you argue that that's a poor representation of Saruman too? What like you're supposed to be not meeting the white wizard and he's just kind of like showing up to a campfire and you know there you know just checking things out how's it going I, I see what you're saying and yes if but I okay I think it is both good and bad think it is both a good and bad like representation of him or showing of odium because whenever we think of our odium reveal i envisioned it of like some all-powerful or like evil sprint that has nothing but wrath trying to fight you or kill you um and instead we see him as you know this this older guy um but it's very like shocking and surprising and makes you think a lot about like who who is Odium? He's not just some like there's a, there's another level of like intelligence there that's not just like only po focus on attacking you. Like there's a kind of a greater plan behind. And so um it was like surprising in a really good way. So it's not what we expected, but I think it was really good. And I think the thing about the Odium encounter that is maybe a little bit less so in the, the Gandalf Saruman scene that you're talking about in, in Two Towers, Trevor, is it's just entirely unclear to me as a reader with Odium whether he's being deceitful here, whether this is you know him trying to put on a nice image to sort of, you know, get on Dalinar's good side or, you know, to try and sort of, you know, trick him. Or is this the real Odium? Is Odium the, you know, sort of, I don't know, he, he is kind of a kindly gentleman who just also has a really powerful, destructive emotional side that's going to squash the world at a moment's notice. Like, is is that just who we're dealing with? Or is this him trying to be deceptive I, I i didn't get a clear picture from that from that scene which one of those this is and maybe that's intentional maybe that's you know we're un, supposed to be unsure 
as a reader here in that scene. But that was just my frustration with the Odium encounter. Fair enough. Uh, I didn't mean for that to be a huge rabbit hole. I was just <laughs> going to pull the comparison between the Lord of the Rings and here. But anyway, so we're too afraid to use the visions now. I'm sorry. Uh, he sends Kaladin and Shallan. He flies them to Thalen City. If you look on your map, it's your theory is actually on your map. I don't know if you guys saw that at the once you you know. Maybe that's technically a spoiler, but whatever. So Kaladin and Shallan walk through the the Oath Gate from Thalen City. They've unlocked it, and Dalinar and Kaladin have an interesting exchange here. There isn't too much to this chapter, but they. Every Dalinar and Kaladin exchange that happens in the books, I really latch on to because they're two of my favorite characters like ever. And Dalinar mentions to Kaladin, oh, you have uh, you have land in in Alethkar. And it, he's like, yeah, you've got like six or seven villages and a, a decent sized town and it's on one of the most prosperous rivers in, in Alethkar. And Kaladin's like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You you know I don't want this. Like, you know, if you know anything about me, you know I don't want to own land or be a light eyes, that type of thing. And Elliot, you put this in our outline. I'll let you go ahead and say it. What does Dalinar respond to Kaladin with? Yeah, Dalinar has a great response here. He responds to, to Kaladin's hesitation here, and he says, if you'd wanted a life without burdens, you shouldn't have said the oaths. And that just touches on, I think, a great concept. This is a, a well-explored concept, I think, in heroic stories, whether it's Marvel, comics, or, or anywhere. You know, you can kind of draw a comparison to, you know, the classic Spider-Man quote of, with great power comes great responsibility. Basically, this whole concept of, you know, you've stepped up to the plate. You've taken on this responsibility, including all of the burdens that come along with that. There's a lot of benefits to becoming a Knight Radiant. You get a shard blade or a shard spren that can become anything you want, like a spoon or whatever else. And the downside of that is, well, yeah, you've got some responsibilities that come with this too. And one of them is owning land and being a lord for a region of, of Alethkar. So I, I thought this was a great little responsibility speech scene for, yeah, all two lines. I agree. And, and it was really something that from my view, was doing something good for Kaladin, even though he doesn't want it. It's like he doesn't want this land, but I think it's pretty good for him. You know, it's good for him to have this. He's going to, like, do a good job with it. It's just like the, I don't care what you want, Kaladin. Just be quiet and take it. Like, <laughs> just kind of move on, you know. Uh, and, and I thought it was kind of some poetic justice and... and and really good there. And it even kind of implies, honestly, back to maybe a theme, I think that goes all the way back to Way of Kings, of, of this kind of concept of be the be the better man or, or be the change you want to see in the world. I, th I think Kaladin's father, Liren, talks to him about this. Like, be the, you know, you got to take the first step. Like, th this could be that for Kaladin. Kaladin's thinking in his mind, like, oh, no, land ownership, being a lord, like, that's... That's a light ice thing. I want to be as far away from that as possible. Well, how much more? How much better if he could take that on and be the kind of light eyes that would be, you know, beneficial for the kingdom. Be a benevolent, you know, landowner and and lord, and and, and perhaps be an example of how it should be done. And yeah, I think I think Dalinar could be maybe inspiring Kaladin in this moment. I'm I'm sure that we won't probably go any further with this this concept here. Maybe, but cool moment. And this is part of their dialogue immediately following that too is they have to win back their kingdom first right you know they, they are, they're a long ways from peace in alethkar at the moment so oh yeah here's some land kaladin oh yeah by the way it's completely run over by uh voidbringers right now so uh yeah good luck with that right all right jumping through the oath gate into chapter 59 we are getting a tour of thalen city and immediately dalinar notices the sheer destruction that's happened in this city it's similar to carbranth in that it sits on the oh gosh west side 
of a of a mountain so that it's sheltered from the east coming high storms but it's right on the ocean similar to what um carbranth is but carbranth is kind of caddy corner to the south and so that it's it's helped a little bit by everstorms accidentally um but thalen city is absolutely not so down by the lower docks apparently the thalen docks were super prestigious and famous in the world and they're all made of wood and as the that first everstorm comes through coming from west to east it just smashes straight into the lower the lower levels of thalen city and completely just sweeps everything away everything that was not stone everything that was not literally concreted into the floor is gone and it's a huge shock for you know all the alethi coming through the the oath gate here in navani and dalinar and whoever else is with them yeah this was a reminder for me of yeah how how important the everstorm is just kind of like the physical presence of it because we the last few places we've seen haven't really been too affected by it. I mean, we've, we've seen your theory, which is pretty much completely unaffected by it. We've seen a few scenes across like Alethkar, which seems like Alethkar is getting hit, but not necessarily too bad. Like the, the different places we've seen have been able to handle it or kind of recover from it. And then we see Thalen City, which looks like it's just been wrecked by the Everstorm. It describes it very hurricane Ask where it like the moment it hits land it decreases in in strength so alethkar which is fairly landlocked isn't faring near as bad as thalen city which is right on the coast and just builds and builds until it hits right like right at thalen city and just sweeps literally everything that's made of wood out of the city right and i keyed in on dalinar's observation in this as well that he's he's kind of looking at the destruction and seems to think that the one temple that they visit, the temple of Talonel, seems to be, have been hit a lot worse than maybe some of the other locations, almost as if it was like intentional. And we've we've kind of gotten the impression that that Odium is perhaps riding the Everstorm or is like present in the Everstorm. So the implication here, the conclusion you could jump to is that maybe there's a very vindictive Odium in the Everstorm that's just up there just hurtling lightning bolts down on the same spot like over and over like curse you talonel you know that kind of thing shout out to talonel for 4500 years keeping him in check and then apparently there's a grudge there or perhaps there's a grudge there i can't imagine they would be friends so that doesn't make <laughs> sense oh come on why not um, i mean maybe by the end of our story we'll see some character development talonel will bond odm oh my we'll, it'll all be happy happy go lucky talonel's... they'll all settle down in kaladin's little village and then hearthstone live a happy peaceful life yeah back to hearthstone. Well, his new his new place oh oh yeah okay yeah mm -hmm. all right let's move to to dalinar specifically in this chapter because he has a very a couple key interactions with other people and items in this in this chapter that kind of pushes down our long our bond smith knight's radiant thing which i know paul you've been waiting for for a while to see our our different knights radiant interact with their powers and stuff like that so dalinar first of all he confronts this poor prince dude they or queen fen's son who i guess he's not technically a prince they, they say that specifically that he's not in line for the throne and that it's a it's a vote thing but he's i'll just call him a prince for all intents and purposes he he's obviously a pretty big critic of dalinar as he comes to the oath gate and like man you're coming to look at all of our defenses and dalinar chooses to pick a fight with him and says hey can i see your walls and how well how well are you defending your city and he says absolutely not i'm not letting the the enemy king um or tyrant or whatever he calls him look at look at the defense of the city i'm not gonna allow that and dalinar says i'm not your enemy and is prepared to prove it and he kind of challenges him to a duel deliberately loses the duel 
to show him that I could I could now I could kill you if I wanted to, but I'm not I don't want to. Like I want to work with you and help you. Is this beneficial? Is he is he doing something good here, or is he just kind of bullying this poor kid? <laughs> so first, I love the idea of I want to prove to you that we are friends by fighting you. You know, like that's um, that's just typical. I don't know. That that seems like a fantasy thing. Very fun. Um, I kind of felt like he was just bullying the poor kid. The poor kid didn't seem like he wanted to be there. He was like, well, I guess I'm fighting Dalinar Kulin now. And then Dalinar pulls the whole, like, first contact thing. I thought that was interesting. Wasn't that it? First blood. Yeah. Yeah, to first blood, where it's like Dalinar starts with no weapon, and he gets three minutes, in quotes, defenseless. Um against him and then vice versa and it was very interesting but it, I mean it, we know it was good but it was like could there have been another way maybe but it probably the, was a good wake up call for the kid so the, the, the first time I read through this I was yeah it was a little shocking you know right this is a very brutal way to get someone's attention and show them that oh yeah i'm your friend here i'll show you by impaling myself on your sword and then healing myself to prove to you that i'm not trying to kill you um but when i when i took a second look at it i i thought back to when dalinar laid the beat down on elokar and you know took him down but then doesn't kill him just to show him that hey man i could take you out if i wanted to but I'm not going to see I'm your friend. That's, that's what he's doing again right here. This is, it looks like a, this is Dalinar's method that he uses, which it seems to be an effective one. It's a very violent one, but it, it works, I guess. Yeah. Just know that we're friends, but by the way, if you do step out of line, I can't kill you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Glad to have you here, bestie, you know? <laughs> I think it's funny that you brought that up. I I forget all the time that that fake and that assassination storyline is in the Way of Kings, and that you brought that up. I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. Like Elokar fakes his own assassination attempts to, mm-hmm. to what end? Anyway, he then so backing up a little bit, they were doing tours of the temples, and he notices these statues that have been crumble it like torn down and all the all the sick are in are in the temples and it's actually Teravangian who steps forward and says hey i have a bunch of surgeons in carbranth we didn't suffer near as bad as you did let me span read over to your thiru and they can do a quick two jump uh you know carbranth to your thiru your thiru to thalen city and I can get them here immediately to help you guys. And it's not till Teravangian actually is doing that that Dalinar thinks to himself, well, well, wait a minute. I have my son, Renarin, who has magic healing abilities. Why didn't I think of that immediately? To, like As soon as I saw so many wounded, why didn't I walk right back through the Oath Gate, grab Renarin and say, hey, start healing people? Like... Or Dalinar does not have the peacekeeper mindset no matter how much he really wants to he doesn't have that behind the behind the lines medicine mindset and it's to his credit I think that he gets there eventually you know eventually he thinks oh yeah I can send Renar in here to be a huge help but you're absolutely right his first instinct is nowhere near how do i help these people it's how do i convince these people that i'm right or how do i assess the weaknesses and prove my dominance like that's just kind of who dalinar is i think do you guys think about this chapter from teravangian's perspective he i was just gonna mention that he walks into this huge temple and there's cots and rows and rows of sick and dying people 
what does that remind him of? Carbron oh, of something he's he's initiated way back in the way of kings is those death rattles. They're try they're killing people to get their death rattles from them. Like when he walks in there, that's what that's what his mind goes to and says, Wait, I can fix this one. And so he volunteers his surgeons for that. And I want to know what you thought of this, Paul, but I, I did notice this because Teravangian even says, I've got it right here, I can see my home in this, Bright Lord. He's talking to Dalinar. And Dalinar kind of has this aw, like, oh, he's he's be, he's touched by this moment. He he's he's having a tender, you know, he cares about these people. That line means something completely different to us. Right. He's not talking figuratively. He's not saying, oh, I, I could imagine this for my people. No, he he knows exactly what this is like because he it has been his people. It is his people. He has done this to his people. And so this is, I think, a, a more emotional state, Teravangian, having a little mini breakdown because he sees this and it hurts him because he knows he's inflicted this on his people. But Dalinar kind of... All of that sails right past Dalinar, of course, and he misunderstands it. So, yes, interesting little moment. I didn't think about this while reading through Terebangian's perspective, but there is a lot there that I just didn't think about. So, we know there's the Death Rattles, which also I wanted to bring up, kind of as, as we move on from this, the... Now our little epilogue things are from drawers and gems and things like that. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really interesting. And I'm wondering if we're going to have a similar kind of reveal in this book with these death rattles. Because we didn't really have that in Words of Radiance. Um, not not to that extent like we did in the first book. Um, like where those are coming. You know where those are coming from, though. Right. That's that's true. Yes. It's like from all the drawers that like sprung open. Right. And stuff. But I guess like uh, what, the significance of that, like Right. What's well, a little bit unclear with those drawers is why. Like what why did they put those in the drawers? Was it purely just to archive information or was there a different reason? One more thing on the Teravangian bit too that I thought of just now is Teravangian is very quick to send his surgeons to help, right? He also might have an ulterior motive there. He might want to be sending his surgeons there to collect, to collect some death, death rattles. rattles from the dying as they're, you know, yep. he's thinking, ooh, more data for my, you know, my diagram. Quick, let's get my people out here so we don't lose, you know, any of these. That I, I, I wonder if that's part of the motivation or maybe the whole motivation there. Sneaky Teravangian. It's like, oh, a bunch of dead people. Where have I said? Oh, I can use this. You just want to punch him in the face. You do that. I'm sure Dalinar will eventually. I hope Dalinar will eventually. I, I would kind of hope so, too. Speaking of, I, I'm going to bring this up while we're talking about Teravangian. We haven't really seen anything from Malata our Dustbringer Shardbearer. And that's one of my biggest things right now. I'm like, when is she going to do... When is she going to do something? Like, something... She's got to do something. Book, right? They keep, like, mentioning, like, and Milata came along or whatever, and we know she's there and stuff, but... What, is she? Is she honorable? Is she trying to harvest death rattles like what's what what's she doing do you I don't know do you guys remember in the Teravangian interlude that we had recently they send her spren to spy on dalinar do you guys remember that that's that's part she's definitely yes. part of the diagram of of things so Not to be trusted. For now. I will, like, the only thing that I can think of with that is 
So we've seen several other spread, right? We've seen Shalon pattern, uh, ivory. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sill. Sill pattern. And, uh, yeah, we've seen Sylphrena pattern, ivory, and we've seen Wendell. And all of them seem to be, like, like-minded in their goal, or at least, maybe it's because the people they're with are like-minded in their goal, relatively. Um, but I was just wondering, like, does Melata's Spren think that they're, like, the honorable ones, or, like, doing what is right from their perspective? Or, like, because from what I've seen, it feels like our Spren are kind of on the same side. They may not know it, or it may be like, mm, he's a cryptic, whatever. But they kind of have good intentions still. Um. It's a great question, actually, because it plays into the greater question that we kind of still have about Sprint. Like, where where are they coming from? Where do their motives originate? And, yeah, Dustbringers being a Order of Knights Radiant makes me want to say... Oh yeah, that means they're the good guys, right? They're on the good side. They're trying to get to the goal. Maybe they do it in a very different way than the others, which makes me want to say that her spren is maybe misunderstanding what Teravangian is trying to do or something like that and kind of you know going along with it, thinking it's honorable. But who knows? We've also seen Skybreakers, who are supposedly an Order of Knights Radiant, do some pretty terrible things. So I don't know. Those I agree with all your questions, Paul. I'm I'm very unsure there. Do you guys remember when we took the Knights Radiant quiz what the Dustbringers like slogan was? Destruction something something something. Correct. I won't I won't spoil it again for you if you don't remember it. I'll let you I'll let that fall by the wayside. But destruction something something something. And <laughs> we know that if, the sprint breaks things. If Right, the Windrunners are all about honor and the ends don't justify the means. And then we have Teravangian over here and his Dustbringer and they're all about destroying and it's like it doesn't really matter how you get there if you're doing it for a good reason in your mind. It You can justify pretty much anything to get there. That's That's how I think of Dustbringers is that I'm going to, I see a good goal in my mind. I'm doesn't matter how much I destroy on the way to get there. I'm going to get there. That's how I think of, that's how I think of Dustbringers in my head. And I don't have the the knowledge of, you know, future books and things like that, but the where I envision the Dustbringers kind of sitting in the whole puzzle is I imagine all the different orders of Knights Radiant, you know, all working together and all having a, a synergy. They're all very good at, you know, their certain thing. And what I kind of am picking up on our imagining is Dustbringers, like conscience and honor and what is right is not the strength of Dustbringers. Dustbringers are like the, they're the get things done people. Like they're your commandos. They're the ones you want, you know, attacking the enemy, going in. Nobody stops the Dustbringers, but maybe they rely on the Bondsmiths or the Windrunners or somebody else to kind of maybe decide what should they be destroying. And their, their job is just the, I'm going to take it down, you know, sort of thing that that's where I envision this is going. That's a great point. I hadn't thought of. One last thing on Dalinar in this chapter, we see a new Knights Radiant surge, if you will. He does a little sculpting and puts back together this statue is this is this cool or is this lame i thought both (laughs) i thought it was kind of cool i was like okay cool but i i was surprised it became such a like a kind of a big scene i was like okay i mean it's this really heavy stone of course but it talks about all like he's pushing and all of his like joints pop out of socket and they like heal and it was just like whoa <laughs> okay <laughs> that's kind of grotesque Delanor but do your do your unite thing go ahead um <laughs> and stuff uh and I mean this just felt like a lot of like strong symbolism of like 
like whenever he sees something, he's not just like, okay, we'll come back to that or whatever. He's like stopping to like make things right. Also with this, doesn't this talk about, or maybe this was previously where he could like hear the, the stone. Yeah. That's, yes. that's here. That was, that was really weird to me and I don't know how to feel about it. It seemed so overwhelming. That's, that's what I was going to mention. So I agree with you, Paul, that the actual power itself was a little underwhelming. It was like, oh, okay, cool. He he sticks stone back together. We, we've kind of seen Kaladin do similar stuff before. But the way he did it was fascinating to me. The way that the spren kind of called out to him and wanted to be put back together, I struck a, a sort of contrast to soul casting. Soul casting feels like the opposite. Soul casting is... Shalon is going in there trying to convince the stick to come fire, and the stick doesn't want to be fire. I'm a stick. I'm going to be a stick for the rest of my life. I'm a stick. Whereas the statue wants to go back to being a statue. The statue is like calling out, like, please put me back together. So this this sort of like willingness or eagerness of the spren as opposed to the resistance spren in soul casting was interesting to me. And he has a conversation with the Stormfather as he's doing this of, is this all like all I can do? And the Stormfather's like, <laughs> no, you can do way, way more with this. You have no idea. I think he calls it a party trick, right? In yep. the scene here. He's like, oh, no, buddy, just wait. I was really excited whenever I, I read that. I was like, okay. Go ahead, go ahead and show us, Stormfather. <laughs> Let's see it. Uh, which was super cool. Um, but, like, the weird thing to me, the only other thought I have on this is, like, now is it, like, any time he walks by a crumbled thing or, like, stone thing, is he help, just going to hear, like, help weeping? Me, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, I feel like that would be overwhelming. I've just imagined a lot of the places that they've been, especially in, like, Eurothiru and stuff, is, like, kind of tattered and broken and i feel like that's shattered a lot of voices yeah li literally just to throw on out there yeah <laughs> it's an interesting thought i didn't think about that he walks out onto the shattered plains viewers <laughs> help us help unite us the whole the whole it's like every the plateau has planes. A, the yes. it's, every plateau is a different voice he just walks out there's like oh my gosh yeah okay <laughs> literally no escaping it oh my gosh just a whole crowd just like a horror movie yelling idea. at him. Yeah. Maybe he's got a spren mute button. He can just like choose like yeah. nope, not listening to Spren today. But imagine you're just like wherever and you just hit unmute and it's just like deafening instantly, just like help us. Yep. And it's like, okay, mute again. Like <laughs> we'll go back. Yeah. That's what I was saying. It seems a little overwhelming. Like everything seems broken, so Tough luck. I'm glad I'm not a bombsmith, I guess. Anything else from these two chapters before we move on to Kaladin? Let's run some wind. All right, let's run some wind. So Kaladin is flying to Kolinar, and he's bringing a couple people with him. Let's, let's go ahead and name them. Kaladin... Shallan, Adolin, Elokar, Drei, Scar, and two of Shallan's henchmen and what's her face? What's her the, name? The head henchman dude, Vatha, right? I think is one of them. And then is it Ishna? Is the the girl spy who just kind of signed herself up for Shallan's crew? Right, yeah, and Kaladin kind of talk is talking to Sil about Shalon. He's certainly noticing Shalon in this chapter, and Shalon or and Sil is noticing that Kaladin is noticing Shalon and kind of kind of pushing that envelope a little bit of like, oh come on, Kaladin, she's kind of cool, and uh, Kaladin thinks to him thinks to himself oh she can't even go anywhere without her little handmaiden you know like she she needs to be uh you know pampered wherever she goes why do we have to bring her her two henchmen and this you know but 
Shalana's alternative alternative motives bring those three along. Did I not say it? I said this, didn't I? That whenever they go on their little adventure, it's gonna like slowly lay a foundation of the Kaladin Shalon love story, if you will. Or at least the tension there, so they definitely pick up where they left off with the banter, which was was one of my words, and they they're right back into it. I think it's actually chapter sixty one where they they really get back into it, where they're just like constantly mocking each other. Like Shalon and Kaladin just can't stop mocking each other, and it's hard to tell sometimes whether it's like banter or if it's flirting or is it both. Like it it's all coming back here. One of your words, okay, that also reminds me of my words as well, which uh, Trevor seems to have lovingly forgotten to ask us. It's Makes like, us come up with these words, and then he's like, okay, cool, thanks for coming up with words. <laughs> we, won't, we won't need those. But, all you know. right, all right. 40, <laughs> 40 minutes later, you can tell me about your words. All right. So, daunting rogue, okay? Go, walk, go with me on a journey here. I actually don't. I don't have anything that deep. But... Um, daunting is for Carbranth because it seems really scary and shady and Colinar, you mean? Yes, sorry. No, yes, okay. Colinar. Um, <laughs> yeah, and our favorite Sprunchalon is there. <laughs> um, okay, so Colinar is really like spooky, scary. I think of like a the equivalent of like a haunted mansion right now. In a movie or something Luigi's like Mansion. That. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, as a result, they're kind of planning like a roguelike attempt. They're kind of trying to sneak around and everything. They can't just go go in, guns a-blazing, to Kolinar with which we don't know what is there. That's a fun question. Uh, could be like an unmade. That was kind of one of my thoughts, or maybe it's where like Nail is, or one of our other heralds, or something. Odium, who knows? I I actually got pretty excited in this chapter. I think it's the beginning of sixty one. Shalon seems very certain that this is an unmade, another one of the unmade that's causing this. They keep describing it as like a darkness or a, a wrongness, which I think they also use that to describe the unmade that was in Yurithiru, like it just felt wrong. And so they're using a lot of the same words again, which seems to be leading towards that's going to be the case, which is what I, w- is what I thought was going to be the case, or it was what I was maybe kind of theorizing could be the case here, that this was another unmade influencing the world by you know taking over Kolinar, which seems like that may be the case here. Which is interesting because we've now had an unmade in Urethiru, big, major, powerful city. Now we're seeing another one in Kolinar, big, major, powerful city. Is this going to you know, be a pattern? Do we now know where to go look for these unmade beings? I'm, I'm really excited. In the same way I've wanted to find all of our heralds, I'm really yeah. excited to see Oliver Unmade, uh, especially with the first one. I don't remember the name offhand, but the, the first one that we saw, Midnight Mother, Jean Anat, was that the Jean? Okay, no, Jean Anat is not okay. the Midnight Mother. However, I remember that. Go ahead and finish. Well, I'll, I'll I'll enlighten you. We'll go ahead and finish your thought, and then I'll talk about that here in a second. Okay. Um, just whenever we saw our Midnight Mother, I thought it was really like cool, and I'm I'm curious to see because my thought was like, is this kind of like a twisted version of a light weaver that's like, oh yeah, sending out these illusions and images, and are we going to see a like kind of a twisted rendition of our other orders? And so I'm really like tuned in here. Like as soon as this chapter started, I like. Had my full attention. I couldn't. I couldn't put the audiobook down. You know. <laughs> so. <laughs> I 
so the other unmade that you've been referencing, Jean, not the one that's been sticking in your head, we got that in a Dalinar flashback chapter. It's the one where they're in the Pure Lake, or he thinks he's in the Pure Lake, and he's running through it, and he sees this spren in the water. And the, hmm. the Knight's Radiant that's with him, like, however long ago, is saying, hey, keep a lookout, Ja'anak corrupts Spren. Keep that in mind. Moving forward. Wow. I thought that was the name of our other one that we've already seen. <laughs> and... Well, the other one was... So maybe. Ray Shapir? Ray, Ray, yes. Ray, Ray Saphir. So another interesting thing is they're going into Kolinar here that I noted down is Elokar has zero faith in himself still. He's he's taken some good strides and he's trying to, you know, take back leadership. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to contribute. And then he has this little like conversation with Kaladin where he's like, hey man, make sure you're ready to save the city when I fail. And Kaladin's like, wait, what? And Elokar's you know, responds basically something like, yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm going to fail. Just make sure you're there to save the day. That's why I brought you. It is like, oh, man, wow. You have zero self-confidence, man. <laughs> That's kind of sad, actually. I honestly do feel sorry for, for Elokar because, bless his heart, he can't do anything right. Like, <laughs> he's, he's trying. What it feels like. He's trying his best. And, I mean... The worst part about it is he's very self-aware about it. He knows he sucks at stuff, but he's still trying and he still sucks. Maybe there's a maybe there's going to be a, a fake it till you make it, you know, sort of story here. Maybe if he just keeps trying, maybe he will have a a redemption moment where he does succeed and and gets that that self-confidence back. But yeah, he do, he does seem to kind of screw it up most of the time. I do have faith in him. I have faith in him now. If you asked me a book ago, I probably wouldn't have said so. Um, but Alicar has really come around and made a lot of like efforts to improve and kind of doing the right thing and not being as dramatic. He's still pretty dramatic, but like, you know. <laughs> um, and so I, I actually have a lot of faith in him. I In the first book, and as you're kind of supposed to, I don't like him. He's just kind of snobbish and paranoid and a bad king and stuff and now he's he's actually like desiring more you know and desiring to actually be like helpful so i'll take it you tried you get a you tried sticker um you have attempted but not succeeded so do you do you guys remember the conversation between elokar and kaladin at the end of words of radiance where Elokar's asking him, you know, how do you be a hero? Because you're everybody looks up to you and nobody looks up to me, and I'm the king. Do you guys remember that conversation? Yes. Kind of. They there might be more of that coming here in a little bit because Kaladin and Elokar don't usually talk to each other, but I mean there's only so many people on this mission, so there's there might be some more of that imposter syndrome from Elokar coming out here. And I am with Paul in that I, I do I do feel a little bit positive actually about Elokar because he's trying. He is trying. And he could be, you know, alienating Kaladin because he's jealous of him, but he's not. He's he's saying, no, I want you to come so I can learn from you. Like that's at least a step in the right direction for him. Right. All right, a couple. There's a new name that is dropped in chapter sixty-one. Did you guys catch this? One of the the city guard who's letting all the refugees in, or not letting all the refugees in, and Cal is just you know feeling bad for him the whole time. Like, man, I would suck. That would suck to be this guy. He he mentions a name, and he says, "High Marshal Azure." Have you guys heard this name before? Any? Do you, do you know who this is? I know the answer, but I'm just trying to pick your brain if you guys have heard this before. 
So the only thing I can say that I think I've heard before is didn't don't we hear this title of High Marshal with like Amaram? Is that right? Like High Marshal Amaram? Um I don't know if there's anyone else off the top of my head that we heard with that title, but is that right at least? So I'm thinking of someone of that caliber. Correct. Like yes. an Amaram type of character. Amaram is a high marshal, correct. Or he was. He's okay. a high prince now. Okay. Uh, yeah, so like big military leader. Real important and stuff, but I no, I don't I don't know this name from anything that I can remember. So I don't remember this name either. And it seems like Elokar doesn't know this name also, which I'm a little more worried that Elokar's never heard this name before more than I've never heard this name before because this dude seems to be running the city, but wouldn't Elokar know who all of the major players are in his own kingdom, you would think? Or at least Adolin. Adolin seems to be like the social one who knows everyone and he's never heard of him. So did this guy just pop out of thin air? Who is this person? (laughs) Two things. I'll get my funny one out right away and that is that it's hoid um <laughs> that's not gonna happen so moving on to guest number could two be. technically it could be but moving on to guest number two um maybe this is some kind of like twisted weird unmade thingy like uh, it, it's zeth with nightblood <laughs> that would that would cause a lot of problems for our crew here i think um, so we'll hope not. Uh, but my guess is it's some kind of like, not actually like a real high marshal in the Shattered Plains or, you know, area, um, in, in Roshar, but it's something like twisted or some kind of twisted henchman that's high marshal as, as your, as, as your, I'm getting some of the same vibes. Something, yeah, something weird maybe going on here, or maybe this is there isn't even a person. Maybe this is just a name that whoever is controlling this, whether it's the unmade or someone, is cooked up, and all the orders are coming from High Marshal Azure. Oh, they they're coming from you know this dark spren, uh, maybe the man Not behind sure. the curtain type thing. Yeah, yeah. All right, we've made it into Kolinar, barely. We, there was an attack while we while the while the crew was getting in there. Where is this going? I want y'all's predictions right now. At the beginning of part three, where is this Colinar quest going? What are we going to save Colinar? Are we not going to save Colinar? Is anyone gonna die? Ooh, I'm gonna guess that. If anyone dies, it's going to be Shalon's little helpers. Like the ones that we brought along that we were like, oh, wait, they're here too. That's kind of my guess. If there's someone who dies. Okay. I'd be very shocked if we lost Kaladin, Shalon, or Adolin at this type of point in the story. I don't know that Elokar's safe, though. I could see this being a a crisis moment for him where he has to come face to face with something in in his hometown and maybe maybe we see a moment where he does finally do something right but maybe that something right is like sacrificing himself so that everyone else can live or something like that I that I could see that going down who that's exactly what I was thinking by the way, just now, Elliot, like, like we were talking about, like how we we kind of can see on the horizon, like an Elokar redemption, right? Story, right? And and no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend, right? And so, it, it'd be really honorable, and and special to see that. Um, I could I could definitely see that happening. I don't think he's safe at all either. It's a really good point, actually, because if you think about it, Elokar is really the only person here who has any personal stakes in what's happening here. This is Elokar's homeland. Asadon is his wife in the castle. He has a son. 
in the castle on young son so he's i mean adolin sort of like this is also adolin's childhood hometown but nobody he really is close with is here at the moment they're all in your or the shattered planes or a combination of the two or whatever elokar is really the only one who has any personal stakes here so that's an interesting guess I do feel like whatever's going to go down is going to revolve around Elokar. This feels like an important story moment for him. So that be, that that's my prediction, I guess. What whatever's going to happen here is going to be a, a climax moment for Elokar. Whether that's he dies or is able to save his his wife and child, I, I do think we're going to get to see a hero or maybe like an ultimate fall of Elokar, I don't know, but something big with Elokar at the center. I'm really grateful that we get to talk about this each week because of this. I wouldn't have thought of Elokar going into this of like, he's actually going to probably play a really integral or important role here. And I think, I think you're very right on this. Like it's kind of a perfect storm of, he has a lot of risk on the other end of people he knows and loves he's got a lot of personal things going into it of wanting to step up and be a real leader and like actually contribute i also think he's just as a character in a good position to die like i feel like our characters kind of have things under control without him (laughs) being honest that sounds mean to say but i think they have things pretty well under control but if he dies he is a notable character that we've seen from the beginning so it would be a more impactful death than like some more like no name person, you know. So in my mind, it's kind of a perfect storm. So I could very well see it happening. All right, second question for you: Who else is here? Well, we talked before about we may be headed for a Kaladin Moash reunion, if that's perhaps mm. what you're hinting at. It is one of hints. We, yeah, Moash is here. Or right, we know that close. Moash is right, not far. He's outside with the 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 Parchment army. So could we have a Kaladin Moash showdown? Definitely seems likely. Third question. Who is conspicuously missing? Um, don't we, isn't Talonel supposed to be here? No. Am I wrong? Talonel, I could be wrong. Talonel yeah. is with, has been stashed away by Amram somewhere. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I thought he was stashed, like, in Kolinar. So, ignore that. Oh, come on. We're in part three. He hasn't shown up yet. Where is he? Zeth? Nope. Good guess, though. Okay, that was, that was my hope. That was just my internal hope. We'd be like, yes, Zeth is... Keep your eye out, and I would be like, I will. But, okay. Hoyd. Where's Hoyd? Hi, Marshall Azure. I mean, it's a a decent guess. I've I've given up trying to expect where Hoyd is going to show up and where he's not. I, I feel like that is... That is not my prerogative as a first-time reader. Hoyt is supposed to be the wild card, so I'm not even going to try and predict where the wild card comes in. That's fair. I kind of agree. I, my understanding of how Hoyt will be used practically right now is like he shows up and kind of gives us some bigger perspective to things, and we're like, whoa, can he use breaths? What's his heightening? like, Or things yeah, like yeah. that. Not so much of like being that relevant in our story right now i guess so i i will say we had a a welcome guest definitely and we we had a very big hoyd and kaladin moment in way of kings we had a maybe not quite as big but still pretty big hoyd and shallan moment in words of radiance so i'm fully expecting a very pivotal hoyd and dalinar moment at some point in here it doesn't feel like we're headed to that soon but maybe i don't know i am expecting that to come though the uh the fandom lovingly calls those uh therapy sessions 
therapy yeah. session. I like that. With Hoyd. So those those scenes that you're referring to are lovingly called therapy sessions. I like it. All right. Any anything else for this episode? I am really excited. I'm I guess under the impression that this what's happening in Kolinor is kind of the pinnacle of part three. In my head, it's like, okay, next chapter, we're seeing what happens. All of it, and I don't know if that will be the case, because we just started part three, so. Either way, I'm really excited to see what all happens here. This has got my main focus. Guess we better keep reading. All right, let's continue on next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. Farewell. Doodles. Doodles.